Well, good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you all, uh, whether you're with us here or with us online. It's a joy to, uh, to be with you in worship together. My name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor here of the Olathe campus, and uh, it is a joy to, to be together. Um, and so I, I have the distinct honor and privilege uh, of introducing um, our guest this morning. He's going to be sharing God's word with us. Uh, Jarrett Meek is with us. Jarrett is the executive director of Mission Adelante here in, in Kansas City, Kansas. And Mission Adelante is actually one of our longest-lasting ministry partners as a church. And so uh, he has served there as the executive director for uh, 16 years, and we have partnered as a church with Mission Adelante for um, almost 13 or 14 years or so. And so it is a, it's a real joy to have him here with us. Uh, Mission Adelante uh, exists to, to seek and create growing multicultural communities of disciples, making disciples, uh, where immigrants and others are thriving and using their gifts together to transform our neighborhoods and the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and so it is a real joy to have Jarrett uh, with us. Uh, earlier this year, Jarrett, myself, and a few other uh, leaders and, and Christians and pastors in our city uh, formed and started a new uh, kind of grassroots uh, coalition that we call I Was a Stranger KC. And, and this group is seeking to provide biblical education and pursue the work of advocacy around matters of, of immigration and loving our foreign neighbors. And so uh, it has been a really exciting thing to see God working in this group. Uh, Jared's heart for the gospel, which is for all peoples, is what compels him to do the work that he has been called to um, and having a heart for our immigrant neighbors. And, and as we think about our, our own church and our location and the city that, that God has called us to, uh, we have a unique opportunity to be a church that is loving towards all of our neighbors. As we think about our growing Latino population here in Olathe, as well as other uh, nationalities and ethnicities that are represented in our beautiful city. And so it's an opportunity for us to continue to grow um, in this work. And so Jared is actually going to be sharing with us uh, from the Gospel of, of Matthew, chapter 22, to help us kind of see God's heart uh, for all of our neighbors and the implications that that has for the church in our day and age. And so I'm, I'm super excited and honored to have Jarrett with us. And so I, I, w- I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word uh, from Matthew 22 uh, as we hear from the Lord Jesus, and then we will invite Jarrett up. And so hear these words uh, from Matthew 22, starting in verse 34 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the Pharisees heard that he, referring to Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you're taking a seat, would you join me in welcoming Jarrett Meek? Good morning, Christ community. It's a real joy and privilege to be with you guys uh, this morning. I, I was preaching at the downtown campus a few weeks ago, and I've just really enjoyed our connection, our partnership over so many years now. You know, we started Mission Adelante in 2005, I think you guys were one of our first church partners that joined up with us in 2007, and it's been an amazing ride. So um, I would love to, uh, to begin with prayer today, and then uh, we're going to be talking about loving people from all places. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be with this group of brothers and sisters from Olathe. Uh, we just pray today that you would speak to us that your heart for every person who is created in your image would uh, just permeate us today, that it would land in deep places in our own hearts and that we would take on that same heart that you have. And we just pray, I just pray that you would um, make my words clear today, that you would help me communicate the things that you want me to communicate through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start out today by telling you about how I was loved as a person from another place. And this is really the beginning of, of, of my story and, you know, my heart for loving people from all places. It was being on the receiving end of that type of love. I'm going to try and make sure I connect with you guys on the corners. This is kind of a cool setup here. Um, so, uh, so my wife and I had, you know, we've been in Overland Park for a long time. We had worked at Heartland Community Church for several years, and there was a point at which I felt like God was calling us to go to the mission field, to become missionaries. And so we, we prayed a lot about it. We decided at one point, my wife was like, we just need to go. And I was like, I, are you serious? I wasn't that serious. But so she kind of convinced me that, yeah, we need to do this. And so we were researching South America. Uh, we had each had a little bit of high school Spanish, and she had just taken, you know, some uh, Spanish course at, at JUCO. And so we end up signing up with South America Mission, and we're headed to Bolivia for a two-year term. And so our first stop was Costa Rica. We needed to learn Spanish. And so we packed up. We had two little girls at the time. Uh, Caroline and Annie, they were, they were uh, two and four years old, so they were young. And here we go, off to Costa Rica. We packed up all of our bags. You know, we, at that point, you could take a 70-pound bag on an airline, and we had 19 70-pound bags. We were moving to South America. It was like a move. And so <clears throat> we land in San Jose, Costa Rica, and we, no sooner than just touching down and deboarding the airplane did I realize that we were not in Kansas anymore it was it was just different it smelled different it felt different the air the humidity was different the sights the language was different everything was different if you've ever been on a mission trip or been to a foreign country you you know that feeling of we're we're in a new place and so we walk out and we're we're so excited and nervous and we're tired from a long day um, traveling and we're met by this Costa Rican man who has two vans, one van for our family and one van for our stuff, right? And so we hop in the van and it's nighttime. It's not that late, but it's pretty dark. And we're driving through San Jose to get to our, to get to our home, our new home. And I'm just seeing the, the lights on the mountains around us. San Jose is kind of in a central valley with mountains all around it. And I'm just taking in everything I can. And so it's you know, just the feeling of excitement, and we pull up, <clears throat> finally, after about a half-hour drive, we pull up to our house, and we unload, and the guy, um, the guy who's with us, he, he leaves us there, and so now it's just us, the four of us, as a family, and we, we find in our, in one of our bags, which bag had the sheets, and so we make the beds and put the kids to bed, and we all, we're, we're all just out like a light, and at five in the morning, I awake and I pop up. The sun is shining in Costa Rica at five in the morning. The whole city is alive in San Jose. 
5 in the morning. The roosters are crowing in the middle of the city. That was a new experience for me, something I experience now every day in Kansas City, Kansas. And here we are, we're up, and, and it's, or I'm up, and the whole city's alive, and I, I go and look in the fridge, and I'm like, wait a minute, we don't have any food. I have to find food for my family. We're going to need to eat breakfast here pretty soon. So I remember I had seen a bakery just a few blocks away when we were driving in the night before. So I set out on foot, really excited. My kids are still asleep. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide for my family here. I'm going to go get food and bring it back. And so I go into this bakery, called, it was called Musmani. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Costa Rica. Do you know Musmani? We love that little bakery. And I'm going in thinking, okay, I'm going to get a dozen donuts for the family this morning. Well, of course, you walk in, and I'm like, hmm, I'm not seeing any donuts here. This is kind of different. And I also am not understanding the system. You know, they have these round trays and tongs, and you're kind of, everyone's carrying them around. I'm like, where do you get the trays and tongs? You don't just go up and ask for a dozen donuts. You get your own stuff, and then you take it up. And so the system's different. And I'm having to figure this out, and I'm feeling a little awkward. And, I, and so I go up, and I, I figure it out finally, and I, I pay for this what looked to me like dry bread, and I'm going, is my family going to like this? And So I get my dry bread, and I've hunted, and I've gathered, and I'm on my way home, <clears throat> excited to be able to present to my children the manly thing that I had just done. And so right as I'm approaching the house, my neighbor next door is leaving, a Costa Rican man, and I start to get nervous. We're about I don't know, 25 feet away at this point. We're walking towards each other, and I'm getting excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to test out my Spanish. I'm going to meet my neighbor. This is like my first real interaction here in Costa Rica. And so we're coming, and I'm thinking, to, you know, I'm going through my Spanish phrases. I'm like, okay, buenos dias, uh, como estas, how's this going to work out, okay? So I'm ready to go, and I, we, we reach, we extend our hands out, and we shake hands, and he's excited to see me too. And he comes out with this. He goes, oh, como le va? And I'm paralyzed, guys. I like freeze in the moment. And he's shaking my hand and waiting for some sort of a response. And I'm just like, eh, eh. I couldn't say anything. And he repeats himself a little bit louder. You know how we always do. Como le va? And I'm going, man, I've never heard that phrase before. I can't even distinguish one word from another. And I thought there were only a couple ways to like say good morning in Spanish. Turns out he was just saying, how's it going? And I'm failing my first Spanish test here. And I'm starting to sweat, you know, maybe I'm embellishing a little bit, but you know. Um, nervous, we shake hands. At the end of this interaction is we shake hands, we nod and we smile, and he goes on his way, and I go on my way. And now, you know, my triumphal entry with my, with my dry bread has been reduced to... Uh, just this feeling of smallness because I couldn't speak the language. I felt like, you know, I felt like an outsider. I didn't feel like I belonged. Even though he was kind to me, I still felt like, wow, the system, the language, everything's going to be hard here. So that was my first experience, but it was not the last experience of us feeling like fish out of water in a different country. So a couple weeks later, we were finally in, you know, we had started our Spanish classes and we, uh, we went to church. We saw this, we had seen this church. It was the first time going to church. There was this big church nearby. And so we were like, okay, we're going to walk to church today. And we're going to check this out and see, this is going to be awesome. And so 
we go with our two little girls and they're a little fussy that morning and we go into the church and we of course we didn't know what time it started so we walk conspicuously into church right in the middle of the service everyone kind of turns around and looks at us and you know we're the only white people in the church and that feels awkward and so we kind of try to sneak in and sit down as best we can and you know we had missed most of the worship time or all of the worship time and we were kind of in the middle of the sermon at that point and you know i'm kind of liking the vibe a little bit but understanding one out of every every 10 words and at the end we somehow understood that there was going to be a second service so we we talked to each other we're like maybe we should stick around for the second service and just see what the music time is like the worship time and so the girls didn't want to stick around you know they wanted to get out of there they were uncomfortable and fussy and so we said well if it's going to start pretty soon we'll go ahead and stick around but otherwise we need to get these girls home so my wife gets tagged to go talk to this nice lady and you know she's the one who had just taken the juco spanish course beforehand and so she's got the job and i kind of follow from a distance to see how this is going to go and so she walks up to the lady and she wants to say what time is the service. And she goes, ¿A qué hora es la cerveza? <laughs> what time is the beer? <laughs> and the lady looks at her with this confused look like, we don't serve beer at this church. And I'm, sit, I'm standing behind, and I recognized immediately what she had said, and I'm like hiding. I'm, I'm like, I don't know her. Um, and so we, we left. We, we didn't stay for the second service. We took our girls home, and we never went back to that church out of embarrassment. Uh, but again, fish out of water, language, system, how to buy groceries, all of those things were challenges for us. And we were experiencing that every day, the feeling of, we don't really belong here. All of that until something happened. A couple weeks later, we went to a different church. And when we were at this church, we were met and greeted by this couple who spoke no English. No English at all. And so we started talking, but somehow, despite the language barrier, we were able to communicate. This couple, Edwin and Sadie, uh, were, you know, they became good friends of ours. And somehow their smile, their demeanor, the way that they just kind of embraced us and helped us feel like they were, we were part of the family, part of their church. You know, the next thing you know, we're at their house. We're having dinner with them. And then we're going on hikes with them up mountains and to volcanoes. And then Edwin at one point says, you know, Jarrett, you're learning some Spanish now. I can tell, but you need practice like in real Spanish. Like, just not what you're learning in the classroom. And so why don't we start meeting every week and we can practice your Spanish. And so we start meeting every week and we've become good friends. And somewhere along the way, guys, I realized, wow, this is awesome. We feel like insiders now. We feel like we belong here now. And I also had this sense of conviction kind of coming over me of, wow, I've never done that for somebody in my own city who comes from another country. And wow, I think this is how God wants us to treat people who come from other places. And so along the way, I'm just kind of processing this type of thing. And so there's 
one moment, one particular moment, you know, we had been there now for several months, and every time Edwin and Sadie wanted to pass time with us, they, had to, they would drive and pick us up. And so it would be a 15-minute drive to get us, 15 minutes back to their house. We'd hang out for a couple hours, and then they'd do the whole thing over again. That's an hour of driving in San Jose, which that's not fun. An hour of driving just to spend time with us, and this was at least a weekly thing, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I wouldn't drive an hour to see my best friend every week. What are these guys doing? This is a level of compassion, a level of befriending, a level of friendship that I'm on the receiving end of here that seems extravagant to me. But it sure does seem necessary. And so towards the end of our time, Edwin's finally like, okay, Jaime. They call me Jaime in Spanish, which I love. Now he goes, Jaime, um, here's how you get to my house. Your Spanish is good enough. And so he writes down the address. And it's not 251 North 15th Street. It is based on landmarks in Costa Rica. There just aren't street names or numbers of houses. So it's, you know, from the bread store in San Francisco de los Rios, from the, the main street, the bread store, you go 200 meters to the south and 75 meters to the west, and it's the yellow house with the black gate. And so he writes it all down. He's like, this is what you need to tell the taxi driver when he comes. And so I do it. I call the taxi driver. He's coming to pick us up. And at the last minute, Edwin, the phone rings, and it's Edwin. He's like, Jared, hi, man, I forgot to tell you, uh, don't let him charge you more than this amount of colores. And afterwards, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, not only have they befriended us, not only are they helping us fit in and feel like we belong and navigate their culture, but they are making sure that on their watch, nobody will take advantage of us in their country. They recognize that we're vulnerable. As foreigners in their land, there's a certain level of vulnerability that we have, and they're making sure that that does not get exploited. So I started, you know, afterwards, just processing through this, I started to think about, wow, um, who does God show us to, uh, call us to show special compassion to in Scripture? And over and over you think about, well, widows and orphans, right? And suddenly I started to see in the Bible, um, widows and orphans and immigrants are almost always mentioned together in the Old Testament. It's a strange thing because I had never seen it before. I'd been to seminary, I, you know, all this time, I had to, you know, widows, orphans, the poor. Um, almost every time in the Old Testament that widows and orphans are mentioned, immigrants are mentioned with them. And now I could see it because it was, to some degree, my own experience, but I started to go, wow, what do they have in common? Well, there's that sense of vulnerability. They're in a vulnerable situation. And over and over again now, it's popping out to me. Now that I've experienced this, now I'm starting to be able to see it. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used for immigrant in the Old Testament is ger. It's used 92 times in the Old Testament. 92 times. It's not an obscure theme. It's something that's fairly predominant, friends. And in fact, if you think of the Hebrew story, it's the story of people on the move. It's the story of people migrating all the way from Abraham when he's called to leave his hometown, his home country, and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, forced migration, sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. Then what happens with Joseph's family and his brothers? You know, at, the, at 
Finally, Joseph gets to the place where he's actually in charge of Egypt. He's the number two guy in charge of everything. In a time of famine, his family comes. Economic asylum they were seeking. Help with the famine. And he's able to give them uh, the help that they need in that situation. Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Moses, at this point, leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt to the promised land, to a new place, a people on the move, exiled Israel, captive in Babylon and Assyria. Jesus himself had to flee to Egypt at one point. You start to realize that the over, one of the overarching themes in the Old Testament of the Bible is this theme of people on the move, and you go, no wonder. That was the experience of God's people. No wonder it's mentioned so often in the Old Testament. So I'm going to shift gears here. And, you know, we just read from Matthew 22, uh, this greatest commandment. You know, so there's this, I want to talk a little bit about this for, for a while here. Um, so in this moment, Jesus, you know, someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with, what we just read in Matthew chapter 22, and I want to dissect this a little bit for us and apply it to the situation we're talking about here. So he starts out and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, so there's this first commandment, uh, love the Lord your God. And he says, this is the greatest and first. And then what's interesting to me is that Jesus could have maybe according to some, maybe should have stopped right there because the, the question was, what is the, what is the greatest commandment, right? The question wasn't, what are the two greatest commandments? But Jesus gives a two-part answer to a one-part question, and the reason for that, the reason for that is the two can't be separated. Jesus said, no, it's love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two I'm holding up here together, they're linked you can't take one. You can't have one without the other. If you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, you're lying to yourself. Jesus is saying, love God, love neighbor. The two go together and you cannot separate them. So he's giving a two-part answer to a one-part question. The second is like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to stop with and, and talk about this word here, as yourself, this little phrase. Sometimes we think about, um, or we've heard maybe in a modern psychology way of interpreting this, well, this means that you have to love yourself to love your neighbor. That could be true, but I, I think what Jesus is getting at is a different thing here. He's trying to say, love your neighbor as you would want to be loved if you were in the same situation. Put yourself in those shoes. That's how you should love your neighbor. Imagine yourself in a foreign country trying to speak the language, trying to navigate the culture. How would you want to be loved if you were in that situation? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus finishes up this famous passage here, and he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Sometimes we just kind of skip over that and just kind of feel like, no, Jesus is just reemphasizing it. But there's something important here. He's basically saying the whole Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, um, essentially connect back to these two things, loving neighbor and loving God. 
everything else connects back to it. In fact, it is the interpretive lens for the entire Bible. Loving God and loving neighbor, which have been unified in, as a two-part answer to a one-part question, is the interpretive lens. If we miss the point on that, then there's a lot of ways we could go wrong in understanding Scripture. But Jesus is saying, no, everything is linked back to these two. And you know, it wasn't just Jesus. The Apostle Paul got this. You know, the, the rest of the disciples must have understood this as well. And Paul, as a student of Jesus himself, in his own spiritual time with Jesus, learned this and began to teach it. In Galatians 5, 14, Paul takes it a step further, which I think he understood what Jesus was getting at when he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that fascinating? Paul is interpreting Jesus as having said, these two, love God and love neighbor, are actually can be summarized just by the idea of loving neighbor. There's a lot of times that we do a lot of spiritual things that we say that's what loving God looks like. It's like having a quiet time and praying and worshiping and all of that. And then loving our neighbor looks like this. And Paul's saying, actually, loving God looks like loving our neighbor. That's what loving God looks like. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, said Paul, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything depends on that. Everything connects back to those two things which is summarized in that one thing. So at one point, in a different context, Jesus is teaching on this same subject, and somebody asks, well, who's my neighbor? You know, that's a really key question in this. Who is my neighbor? And you guys probably know the, the way Jesus answered that question. He answered with a story, which he often did. He told a story about um, about a neighbor and it was the story that we know as the story of the good the parable of the good samaritan <clears throat> and so he kind of begins his story by saying you know there's a guy um, who is probably a jewish guy just like the rest of the group he was talking to that was his audience and he said he takes out from jerusalem and he's heading to this other town called jericho and so so far his his uh his audience is tracking with him they're going yeah i know that road I know Jerusalem, you know, we all know that. I'm, you know, identify with the main character here. And so he's on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets attacked by robbers. He gets assaulted and he gets stripped and he gets beaten and everything he has is taken and he's left for dead in the ditch, right? His hearers, again, they're kind of going, okay, I know where this story is going. I identified with this. I know this road is a dangerous road. You know, somebody's going to come along and help him, and that's going to be what a neighbor is, right? His hearers were completely on board with this so far. And so Jesus continues the story and throws him a curveball. So the first curveball comes when the next character introduced into the story is a priest. And so they're going, okay, our guy, you know, our guy is going to come. He's the one who understands the law. He understands, you know, he's like, a religious leader, he's going to get this right. And so he's going to come along and going to help the guy. And he's going to show us what it means to be a neighbor to somebody, right? And so along comes the priest, but man, Jesus has him walk right by. The priest walks by the guy in the ditch and doesn't help him. So now's the first moment that Jesus' audience is uncomfortable in the story. 
They're starting to go, no, I don't like this story so much. What's going on? What are you trying to get at here? The priest walks by, but they're probably thinking in the back of their mind, there's a, they're probably going, well, well, actually, the road is dangerous, so maybe he would feel in danger if he was going to stop by. If he was going to stop and help and tarry too long, maybe the guys who attacked this guy would be there too. And so they're kind of maybe starting to think through why their guy didn't stop. But they're also maybe thinking, well, gosh, the priests have certain duties in the temple. And they have to be ceremonially clean in order to be able to do those. And touching a bloody guy is going to make them have to go through a process of cleansing before they can do their duty in the temple again. And so maybe the priest had a religious reason not to show compassion. That's scary, friends, when we have religious reasons for not loving our neighbor well. And Jesus' hearers at this point aren't liking the story anymore. They aren't liking it. And then along comes the next character, a Levite. Also, from a priestly line, also had duties in the temple, also would be considered religious leaders, and the Levite comes along, and the same exact thing happens. So strike two. So Jesus' Jewish hearers at this point are thinking about this and going, this is not cool, this is not a good story. We're not liking it anymore. But they ain't seen nothing yet. Watch and wait till the next person is introduced, and the next person to be introduced in the story is a Samaritan. And if you know anything about Samaritans, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans at that point in time were not associating with one another. They were a rejected group by the Jewish people. They were a people that were not to be associated with, were not to be communicated with. They were a different religion. They had, you know, they had stayed when, when Israel had been taken captive and taken to Babylon they had stayed in that, in that section. They were originally Jewish people, but they had been um, intermarried with the people in the land, and so the race was not pure anymore, so to speak. They had also changed the religion. Now, you know, instead of worshiping in Jerusalem, they had a different mountain that they were to worship on, and they, were, they had changed some of the religion. So now they're a different race, different religion, different culture, a people that were not to be associated with. So along comes the Samaritan. And now, if they thought they knew where the story was going at first, now they are predicting a different direction and they're not liking it again. And so the Samaritan comes along and he helps the guy. He kneels down, he cleans his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, he clothes him, and they walk to the next town and he cares for him for a couple days. He's going out of his way. It's not just a little bit. He's going way out of his way. This man had some stuff to do. He takes him and he cares for him. And after a couple days, he gives the innkeeper some money and says, here, take care of this man for me. And then he pulls out his credit card and he just goes, and here, keep my credit card. Any expenses you incur on behalf of taking care of this man, just swipe it or insert it or tap it, or whatever you want to do with the card. But anyway, the point is, he wanted to make sure that this man was taken care of. And so at this point, Jesus has done something that made everybody angry. He made 
the outsider, the rejected person, the person of a different race, of a different religion, of a different culture, the hero of the story. Jesus did that a lot. He would make heroes out of marginalized people. And here is Jesus making this man a hero and his hearers aren't liking it. And at the end of the story, Jesus said, so who was the neighbor to the man? And I don't know, I could be reading something into this, but, um, but the guy who had asked the question didn't even say, couldn't even say the Samaritan. He just said the one who showed him mercy. I don't know if he couldn't pronounce Samaritan, if that would have been hard for him to actually say it, but he said the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus teaches us that sometimes our neighbor is somebody very different from us, somebody who looks different, different religion, different race, different culture. For us at Mission Adelante, this has significant meaning. When Jesus wanted to talk about what it means to love your neighbor, he talked about somebody who would be like the immigrants that we serve in our community. How many of you guys have a favorite verse in Leviticus? Raise your hand. I do. I actually have a favorite verse in Leviticus. It's one of my favorite verses. It's Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. And I just want to unpack this a little bit for you guys. You know, when Jesus answered this question, what is the greatest commandment? He wasn't making something up on the spot. You know, he wasn't just pulling a, a, a rabbit out of his hat with this answer and making up something new. In fact, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's found in Deuteronomy 6. And love your neighbor as yourself is in Leviticus 19. About half of the chapter is dedicated to applying the concept of loving your neighbor in different situations with different people. And you get to Leviticus 19, 33, and 34, and God applies that concept directly to immigrants. And he says this, when a foreigner, a ger, one of these, um, that word again, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. That's the first thing. Do not mistreat them. That means not talking bad about them, not doing things that would be harmful to them. It says the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Wow, what does it look like to treat someone from another place just as your native born? For our laws to match for everybody the same way. Must be treated as your neighbor born, uh, your, as the native born. And then it says, you shall love them as yourself. I love it. It's the exact same language. You shall love them as yourself. And I think about that. I'm like, yes. How was I loved when I was in Costa Rica? That's how I want to love others. And then it says, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, we all know what the Hebrew people experienced when they were in Egypt. They were enslaved, right? And God is saying to them, you know what it feels like to be mistreated. You know what it feels like to be oppressed, to be taken advantage of. You know what it feels to not be welcome. You know what it feels to be pushed to the margins. You were foreigners in Egypt. Don't treat others that way. Friends, we were outsiders to the kingdom of God. We should know. We should know better. We should know what it means to be accepted into the family because Christ has accepted us into the family. You were foreigners in Egypt, he says. And then he finished this, this off with a phrase we sometimes also just read right over. He says, boom, 
I am the Lord your God. Moses didn't make this up. This isn't just something being written here, somebody just kind of doing it. It's not this light thing. No, this is me, God, saying this, and I'm putting my stamp on this. I am the Lord your God. This has my authority to it. Friends, loving people from all places goes to the heart and the core of what God most wants us to do. What he most wants us to do. Love our neighbor as ourselves as an expression of loving him. So, over the years of doing ministry in the context that we do at Mission Adelante, it's been difficult at times. Sometimes, to be honest with you guys, um, I've been frustrated and disappointed with the American church in this. We have not always had a loving heart, a loving attitude towards people who are coming to our country from other places. And so a few years ago, and I want to close with this, a few years ago, um, I wrote this poem, and I'm going to share it with you guys today to close. It's called Immigration Tears. Rain falls like tears from heaven, crying for the pain of millions whom God loves and are created in his image. Living to the south, cycles of poverty perpetuate. The stench of government corruption poisons progress. Violence devastates viability. Work and wages wither. On mission trips, we say, wow, they're so happy in their simple life. But in believing so, we minimize their strife. We choose to view their suffering as a blessing while knowing inside that we could never live like that. We somehow see ourselves as different. And this blinds us to their plight and stops us short of action. They're now our neighbors. Trying to escape what we could never bear, they've left children and wives. They've risked their lives to make a future for them and to leave despair. We're angry. We say, go back. We look at them with disdain and demonstrate the compassion we lack. What's ours is ours, we feel justified in declaring. We're blessed by God and we don't like sharing. Wait in line, follow the rules, learn our language. We shout, not realizing or caring that broken laws have shut them out. If you're a doctor, welcome in. Or if your family member's a citizen. If not, you can try your luck. Win the lottery or you're simply stuck. It's economics, we say, as our hoarding hearts betray the fact that we were not sincere when in their land we shed a tear for the blessings that destroy and the poverty they enjoy. Politics and Christianity now mixed make it hard to draw the line between secular and divine. Complexities build a web of confusion in our minds. How does Christian thought and action address the situation and distress? Obey the law, some say, is the rule that wins the day. Not to slight this right command. But what about us who were born in this land? Does not the Lord this law decree that love our neighbor is priority? What's our response to our neighbor's pain? How about mercy, not disdain? Of course, they're sinners, as are we. We need the truth to set us free. The greatest commandment cannot be ignored, and without the gospel, we can't be, be restored. It's the mission field, you see, coming here to you and me. Let us not in blindness miss the hypocrisy of all of this, to visit the, them in their homes and say, Jesus loves on one day, and then the next, when they move in on our block, to say, go home and bolt the lock. The rain again is falling down. God crying for us Christians now. Not for suffering or for pain, but for missing the point. An ugly stain.
let us repent and turn around. God, change our hearts. Renew us now. Give us compassion and hearts of grace. Help us not to turn our face from you or those who need to taste the news of Christ, his saving love, and skies that clear from clouds above. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have such a hard time loving others. Loving others who are different from us, loving others who we don't agree with, loving others who think differently, look differently. We have such a hard time putting ourselves in other people's shoes and actually imagining what it would be like. We have such a hard time letting go of what we consider to be ours in order to love our neighbor. Jesus, you showed us what that looks like. You showed us what that looks like, and we pray that if we would be followers of yours, that we would follow you even in that, especially in that. In Jesus' name, amen.